friends. Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, the show where we try to help you, the business owner, whether you're a small-time IT professional, managed service provider, or even bigger, we try to help you run your business better, smarter, and faster. This is one of our audio shows where we bring in different guests and try to just chat about things that will be beneficial. I mentioned earlier this year that we were going to try to bring in some different guests and kind of tackle some more of the the actual business side of what we do. And, you know, the tech gadgets are nice, the software is nice, but sometimes we just need a little help with running the business from a leadership perspective. And so we're going to do that tonight. And I've met a gentleman by the name of Nathaniel Morris, who is with EQ Digital. And uh, let me first go ahead and say, Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. I probably should have asked if I could call you Nathan. <laughs> well, whatever, I'm good for it. So not a problem. Okay. So uh, we had uh, met, I forget, maybe a couple of months ago. And uh, you have a business where you help leaders kind of maximize their technology value. So I want to stop right there and ask, what exactly does that mean? Absolutely. Well, in today's world, every company is in some facet a technology company. And whether they are a bakery who's providing bread to store shelves or whether they're a software provider, or in this case, as we're talking, a managed service provider who's helping other companies with their IT needs. And across the board, what I have found is technology is an expensive investment. We know that hardware is expensive, software is expensive, and the people who have the skills to deliver on the promise of technology are also expensive. It takes uh, expertise to do that. But oftentimes what we find is we're not getting the most value out of it because it's either not properly deployed. It is a situation where we've got redundancies and we've got two different pieces of software that have been bought from two different parts of the organization. And we just have overlap. And so there's a lot of waste. And just like a factory is after a maximum value and ROI from their investment in manufacturing, we also want to make sure that companies are getting the maximum value for their business out of their technology investment. And that's what we specialize in helping organizations do. All right. So I tried to prep you a little bit by saying that the audience that listens to this podcast are actually technical people. Mm-hmm. So we're the ones that are trying to talk to our clients. <laughs> in a lot of yeah. cases, we're trying to get them to spend more money. Of course. While at the same time saying, well, we could save you money if we partner with you and help you learn how to run your business more efficiently. So we're kind of at a crossroads sometimes, or we're trying to do both. We're trying to save them money, but yet we're trying to maximize that revenue for us. So I should probably ask you, are you, are you used to talking to this type of audience? Absolutely. And I think the key conversation of what we were just mentioning a moment ago is we're talking about value. And that doesn't always mean cost savings. There's two sides to the value equation, right? It's about enabling them to do more in their business. And so sometimes technology is actually unlocking better capabilities. And it might be that technology investment is actually allowing for HR or for some other function, sales, et cetera, to deliver more value for the company. And so sometimes the value might even be there, but technical teams won't always know how to articulate it, how to discover it. And so a lot of times technology is delivering great value for a business and it's just not known. 
And so it looks like we're spending all this money. We're not getting our return. Sometimes it's about helping them understand how the technology is impacting their business. Not always just about how do we squeeze it down and, and trim out the fat as it were. So there's both sides of the equation. Okay. Because, you know, your website and your pitch always starts with, you know, companies are paying too much for hardware and software. <laughs> so that's going to pique a lot of interest. Be like, okay, yeah, you're right. I am spending too much. Um, but sometimes it's just a matter of, well, you may think you're spending too much, but let's see what you're really getting in return. So uh, that is good. So let me first now go back and talk about how you get started doing this, because it seems as though you would have had to have done some of this yourself in other organizations. Is that true? Absolutely. Um, so I've spent in my career uh, a lot of time sitting in the seat of a decision maker for technology. And I cut my teeth on the e-commerce side, which was a direct tie between business and IT as we were just figuring out how to sell stuff online uh, early in a lot of the technologies that are common today. I was early in those cycles as we were wrestling with it uh, as a community, even before they had e-commerce degrees, we were figuring it out, right? And so I started there, spent a lot of time in a solution architecture function, leading teams, working in the analytics space, doing bake-offs between vendors, understanding what was and what wasn't working. And then I also led a very large organization for retail. And we were a several hundred locations uh, for some of the top brands. And it was the same thing. I grew that organization from about three people to over a hundred. And along the way, what I continued to discover was that business didn't really invest in technology they invested in solutions that made their business better. And when you ultimately see that, then those solutions were technical solutions. Though, you know, a factory spends a lot of money on electricity, but they think about what it's helping them produce, not just the fact that they're writing a large bill to the utility company. So what we began to look at as I began to work with leaders and all parts of the business, whether it was a finance officer, whether it was an operations officer, what we continued to find was we won what we wanted to do by saying, hey, let me help you understand what this is doing for the business and showing you how we can make it better, getting you to that future state of understanding that allowed us to then do what we wanted to do. And it it's very powerful because a company is ultimately, as technologists, we know this, a company is ultimately going to need to upgrade hardware. We can't just sit on old stuff forever, but they don't want to spend the money for it. So how do you as a technologist approach the conversation to say, let me illustrate why this is going to impact the business positively. And whether it be uptimes and de-risking the business or whether it be, as I mentioned a moment ago, creating new value for the business and efficiency. So have been there and in that seat and can definitely appreciate the decisions, which you have to be able to sit in those seats and see it if you're going to really be able to help a team. So I'm not in theory. I've sat in the trenches and turned the wrenches too. Okay. So you just uh, triggered a thought in my head because I'm going through a couple of upgrade projects. Yeah. And so as many of my listeners, we fight with our clients who, like you said, don't want to spend the money. And a lot of them don't do it until they have to. Mm -hmm. And a couple of my clients, they are being forced by their line of business products mm -hmm. to upgrade 
just because, and that's the way the client sees it. They're like, oh, they're just finding a way to spend more money. But trying to let them know that, you know, the software's been updated. You're running on machines that are seven, eight, nine years old. Your efficiencies are a little bit behind. Right. Um, so in a, in a world where we we have been trying to find the right words and not upset anybody, but I'm, I know I'm going to upset somebody. <laughs> so we have brainwashed a lot of the world into thinking that technology cost should be going down. When in fact, they're going the other way. So how much of what you do has to kind of change the shift of what people are thinking when it comes to that cost? There, there's a good there's a good part of the conversation that is centered on that. But the way I normally approach that conversation is I want to understand how it's impacting the business first. I want to sit down with the business and say, okay, you've got these machines, they're running, let's take a retail store. You've got 10 machines in the store, you're running them until they die. Let's look at tickets, for example, over the last six months. How many times are we having to do repairs? How many times are we trying to do that? Let's talk about what we could have if we were on the correct software and hardware, or in some cases you're talking about uh, if you go spend the time in the stores, and I love to do this when I would work with uh, managing the retail side, the technology for retail, I'd go spend a Black Friday sitting in the stores, talking to the reps and understanding what's breaking in your technology. Why is this not working? And we would spend that time to learn. And then when I talk to the business owners who cut the checks, I can say, hey, I've sat with the reps. I know that this technology is costing you three minutes, five minutes on a transaction. This is slowing down the ability to serve customers. And when you can put it in business terms, it changes the whole conversation because it's no longer about technology. It's really about a conversation of impacting what it means to the front line. And that mindset shift is normally where we start. And then we can say, yes, technology is getting more expensive. And let's talk about why. But it, that's, you're, you're really kind of trying to push it uphill if we don't put it in the business context first. So that's always where I love to start. Yeah. So, yeah, you're spending money. However, think about what you could recover in that spend. That's a good analogy. I was thinking of a time that I had to go through a client that did not want to invest in a server, but yet they were dealing with downtime half an hour to an hour every day. And I had to say to them, how much how much money are you losing when that office is down? And it was an attorney, so it was kind of easy because he knew what his billable hours were. And he was you know, like, well, I'm losing 1000 a day. I'm like, okay, well, the server's only going to cost you at the time. This is going many, many years back. You know, it's only going to cost you five grand to do the server. Right. You make that back in a week. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> it was a no-brainer back then. Well, so, and those conversations are... As a technology leader, and particularly when you're in the MSP space, it can be difficult because you feel disconnected from the business because you're a service provider. But the closer you can get to those business leaders and understanding where the revenue drivers are, where the cost drivers are, then you can get that understanding and put it in their context. Another trick that I've used a lot in those situations, if as technologists, you know something's going to wear out, put it on a model that isn't um, that, that smooths out the bumps in the road. Um, I love sitting down with a finance option and saying, okay, instead of investing, for example, 
take us retail location. They've got 20 stores. They've got 10 computers in a store. We're looking at buying 200 desktops or 200 terminals. Like Nobody wants to have that hit. On the other hand, I could take and put that on a 36-month operational lease. And now I'm in a situation where it smooths out the cash flow because now they don't have these big spikes. And now I can have a monthly payment and I can say, okay, well, how about X per month? And then once I do that, as a technologist, I know that in 36 months, I'm just going to go get the latest technology, refresh it. And my goal is to negotiate to keep that same monthly payment. And now it's an operating model, not a capital model. And that shift in business context can also be powerful depending on the business owner. All right. So you had mentioned that you were doing all these businesses before. So what was it that made you want to make the jump and you know, help people instead of work for the people. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've gone into every organization I've walked in. I have been working with an executive who said, hey, I'm stuck, help. And I love those conversations to take an organization who is trying to make it work. Their technology's broken. It's disrupting business. How do we solve this? And I've done that many times now. And even sometimes within an organization, I would be moved to a different team to say, hey, go help this team do the same thing or a different function of the business, help their technology get better. And I just, I love those challenges. It's what makes me not, I don't feel like I work. I have a lot of fun and solve these challenges. And so I stepped out. I've done this in my career uh, a couple different times. Um, I did this about 2008 and then had a client who pulled me back in full time. And then I stepped out again to do it again. So I love doing this. I love meeting new companies, understanding their business models. I'm a business guy at heart. Technology is the skill I bring to the table. But I love learning about new businesses and helping entrepreneurs and small business owners succeed. That, that's my passion. All right. Now, when you started this time, this business started in January 2020? So uh, I stepped out on my own uh, and started the ball rolling in January of 2020. Uh, I officially hung the shingle out in March, right before the world shut down. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> what a time, uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. My timing was very bad. Um, but, you know, hindsight 2020, as they say. But, you know, it was a situation where it meant we had to hustle. We had to get after it a little harder. Um, you know, our plans that we had, a couple of contracts lined up, didn't materialize. And that's okay. I understand the nature of business. And we had to pivot a little bit and figure it out through 2020 until things got some traction. But I enjoy the work. And I wouldn't change anything, even for the hardship. I still enjoy the conversation of being able to help other companies. All right. Well, luckily you survived all that and congratulations. Yeah. You're here and yeah. uh, still rocking and rolling. Yeah. So let's move along and talk about some, some practical things that people can take because we can go through, there was a, a P4 method that I want to get to, but one yeah. of the things that when we first met, one of the bullet points that I read is that there was this idea that companies can add 20% in business value without adding new technology. So can you describe how that could possibly work? Absolutely. So I have worked with a number of different organizations and I've seen this multiple, multiple times. Uh, and it'll vary with the skies of the organization as to which of the elements are impacted. But this comes down a little bit to the P4 methodology as well. But 
an organization generally has good enough technology. Now we've talked about hardware, something that ages. So there, there are things that have to be maintained, just like your car, you know, you've got to take care of the tires. You can't say, I don't have tires, but you don't necessarily have to have the high-end Ferrari. The car you have is good enough and serviceable. It, you have to just keep it maintained. Oftentimes technology is good enough for the business it's in, but the company isn't leveraging it to its full potential. And what we have found over and over again is a company is overinvesting in resources, not talking technical, I'm talking business resources, whether it be in finance, we see it a lot there, operations, where they have technology already at their disposal. They just don't know what the technology can do for them. It's the old adage of, I've got 80% of the users who only know 20% of the tool. And we have seen it repeatedly that if a technical leader can understand the business and walk into those lines of business and sit down, not trying to sell new tech and instead saying, how can I do more with what I have and really understand the business? Every organization we've seen this in has had a improvement in their valuation because they're getting more sales. They're getting sales faster. They're seeing cash flow impacts. They're seeing a cost savings because, and the cost savings, I'm not talking tech, I'm talking cost savings in another part of the business. Technology is an innovation that will enable business every single time, but businesses don't know how to use it. And oftentimes when I talk to tech, tech can be very focused on how do I get the domain controller updated? How do I get the new user deployed? How do I get, and it's very much centric on the nuts and bolts. I like to say, back up from the trees and look at the forest. And when the technical leadership can see the forest of the business, it makes all the difference. I worked with an organization recently and the technical team had made a decision for a platform change. And that platform change swung the profitability of the company by $10 million over three years. It looked solid for the business for them to make that change. Like the technical team said, our peers are doing it. It's a great platform. We, we think this is a smart move. They didn't consider how the business was actually using the platform. And so they wound up making the change and their costs ballooned. And when they did that, they lost $10 million over three years of EBITDA. I'm talking real profit that just va- vanished. Okay. And when now- we walked in, Go ahead. So, so part of me is thinking, okay, how did that get quantified? I mean, I, I know you can't probably get too specific and say everything, but right. that that seems, I don't want to say ridiculous because that's not right. But how, yeah. I mean, how does that happen? Well, it, it happened in this organization because you had a technical leader made a decision from an architecture level with the team. And they said, we need to follow, you know, we're, they jumped in with both feet into the latest and greatest cutting edge platform that they wanted to go after. And they told the business, this is the right way. Look, here's all the reasons. Here's all the magic quadrants. Here's all the things that we think this is why we need to do it. But what they didn't understand is how their customers were actually being impacted, how the business was being impacted by their technical decision. So when I walked in, we sat down with the uh, some of the C-suite and actually the, uh, I had a member of the board who said, we have to figure this out. Here's the 
three-year EBITDA, and actually it was five-year because we looked back two years to see was this a fluke. And we said, what is causing this? Like technical expenses are going out of control. What's happening? What do we got to do? We got to jack up our rates to the customers. Like this isn't making sense. And when we peeled the onion layers back all the way back, it went back to ultimately a presentation where the team said, we're going to go away from solution A to solution B. And they dove in head first and all of the technical leadership followed. Everybody did it and they didn't understand what the business. So there's, they're making decisions that ultimately are creating more costs and they weren't even having conversations with the business. They were making technical decisions for the customers. And then the customer experience side and the sales side is saying, we're still selling at the same price point. Nobody told me to be raising prices and you got a gap. And I've seen it over and over again because organizations, you have to understand what's happening for the business at the end of the day. So the business knew it was, was it like literally losing money or they were just seeing the cost go up and they didn't have revenue keep pace? So the cost went up and the revenue stayed pace. So basically the margin that was there three years ago evaporated. Okay. So when I was coming in, they were on a, their, their forecast was, we're now going to lose money as a business. And they didn't understand why that had happened. And, you know, the solution was, well, you know, costs are just going up. It's just this, it's just that. And it was hand wave, but it wasn't, it, it all came back to the wrong decision by technology. And now they spent two years reversing it and they're heading back in the right direction. Okay. Oh, I so want to get into that story, but let's move on because I want to know what did they do? Did they, when you yeah. say reverse, did they, but yeah. let's, let's move on. So, so this is part of that process that you talked about where it's, uh, it's looking at the whole picture mm-hmm. and now there's gotta be something that triggers a company to say, Hey, we've got to look at this. Now, is it usually a pain point like that? Or are there leaders that are forward thinking enough to do it ahead of time? Um, There are some that are forward thinking enough. Um, Generally, what I see is when a company knows it's reaching an inflection point, they're fixing to get a surplus of capital from an investment, or they're fixing to acquire another organization, or they're doing something that is pivotal in the company's history, then sometimes there's a forward enough thinking leader that will say, hey, we need to make sure we're okay here. And usually, unfortunately, that's somebody who's experienced the pain of not doing it right. And so they have a little bit of scar tissue, if you will, of having done it wrong. And so they're, they're thinking ahead from it. That happens maybe one in five. Okay. Usually it's a, we're in the middle of a pain point um, and it will be either a finance problem or it will be a turnover problem, something like that, that they're going, why are we losing all of our IT or what's happening here? And then when you dive in, you, you it's because there's pain. All right. So I'm going to turn this on our industry specific, because I know that even though, you know, my company is an IT service provider, managed service provider, uh, I deal with a lot of vendors in the channel and a lot of larger uh, IT companies that every time they identify something going amiss, it always leads back to, well, we've got to change the culture. Now, I know that culture is a part of your P4 method, 
but a lot of companies will try to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guess is, is there's situations where you get to step in and you can be a little bit more objective, maybe. Um, so let's start with first, how much of it is, and I think I'm using the right, the wrong phrase where I'm saying they're targeting culture when it might be something else. But I know that culture is a part of your P4 method. So uh, walk me through a situation where that's, you know, a company tries to do it on their own and needs a little guidance. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to intertwine three different points because they're really hard to separate. Um, they're, what, they're what I call the leadership trilogy. A leader's job is to do three key things when it all boils down. The job is to establish uh, an environment that is trustworthy, where there can be trust in an organization. And that includes modeling trust, and that includes dealing with things that are enemies of trust. The second conversation is a leader's job is to create clarity. That is, what is the job? Why are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? Those type of things. That mission, that's a leader's job is to create that clarity. And there's three levels of clarity. We, we can go into some of those if you like. And then the third is to create an environment that will foster the right culture. At the end of the day, if a leader does those three things, and whether they're a technical leader or a business leader, that's the job of a leader. And when you talk about culture, oftentimes, particularly in tech, culture is looked at as perks. And those two words are used interchangeably. And they're not. Free ping pong table, free soda fountain, free meals. That's culture. Well, those are perks. That's things you're giving to people right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to say this is an environment. And those, you know, they're benefits and, and they may be differentiators, but Really, at the end of the day, culture has to do with establishing an environment where people enjoy working with one another. And the reason it's intertwined is if the environment's not trustworthy and if people don't have clarity, you can't really fix culture. If you do have a trustworthy environment, if you do have clarity, then you can begin to create the right environment for culture. It's like a garden. You can't build culture. You just create the right conditions. And you're very careful and deliberate about guarding the trust, about creating the clarity. And when you add to your team, you're adding to culture because every person you bring in has a background, has a history, has a dynamic that they bring to that team, a personality even. And so when you talk about culture, and if an organization says our culture is broken, when I walk in, I look at all three. And oftentimes the reason that it needs an outside perspective is because if those three aren't right, there's a leader somewhere, maybe direct, maybe second or third level. There's a leader somewhere that is creating a disruption nine times out of 10. And that's either because they don't know any better. They don't know that what they're doing is causing a problem with trust or what they're doing is actually disrupting the clarity or because they're just not a good leader and we need to help provide them coaching, et cetera. So by having that outside party, you get the team to open up because nobody wants to say, Hey, my boss is really bad to their boss. It's, it's just really difficult. And, what we have found is by being able to come in and say, hey, let me just talk to the team. Let me understand what's going on. Let me assess. We've got a great set of tools that we can use to do some of these structured assessments and really learn how healthy the team is 
in this area, this is our people area of our P4 method, then now I can begin to understand, all right, where's the gap? What's happening? We worked with a team and I walked in the door. I, I sat in the first meeting with their technical leader group and I was just listening and they were going down all the list of the problems they're having and what's happening and their challenges. And after they'd gone through some of it, I, and I'm a straight shooter, I said, hey, sounds like there's a trust problem between the team and the leadership. And they said, absolutely not. There's no issue here. And I said, okay. Um, and so we went through the assessment and sure enough, they had great perks. The team loved working as a group, but they didn't have trust with their leadership and that's what was broken. And so now we were able to identify that, help the leaders understand that, help them understand what they were doing that was allowing culture to or trust to be eroded. And now you're able to begin to build again. Okay, I had a question, but I want to come back to what you were saying there because it sounds like a company can have a good culture but be missing on the other two points. Yeah, absolutely. So who identifies when there's an issue or a better way to phrase that, I guess, is how do they identify the situation enough to bring someone like you in to help them to find the answer? So culture clarity, trust, there's a few giveaways on each of them where you can say, ah, something's going on. Um, Whenever you have a situation that you're dealing with turnover in a team and it's repeated and it's different than the rest of the organization, I always immediately get suspicious that there's a trust problem with that leader. Um, That may or may not be the case. It may be that they don't trust the leader, or it may be that there is somebody in the team that the team doesn't trust and the leader's not dealing with it, but there's a trust issue when you have a lot of turnover and they won't tell you that. They will tell you, I left for this reason or I left for that reason because nobody wants to say, I don't trust this person because we equate that to saying they're a bad human being. But trust has a couple different layers to it. I can trust you're a good human being, but say you're horrible at your job. And so you're not skilled enough to do the job you're in. And I don't trust your competency, even though I might say you're, I trust your integrity. I believe that you wouldn't steal from me, but the last thing I want to do is lean on you as a team member because you keep messing it up. And so trust can be a couple different dimensions there. So when I see turnover inside of a team that's different than the rest of the organization, that's a red flag on trust. And then as far as culture, I look at culture by being in the environment. I attend meetings. I want to see humor. I want to see that the team is very comfortable with one another. They're going to talk about family and uh, hobbies and other things because that tells me that they're in a comfortable environment. If it's very cold, it begins to make me feel like, okay, people aren't comfortable here. And usually that's a giveaway on culture. Sometimes it's on trust, but usually that's a culture giveaway. The clarity giveaway is if teams are not hitting project deadlines. And sometimes this is where I get brought in where somebody's like, my team doesn't deliver. Everything gets delayed. Nothing seems to be getting done. That's normally a clarity problem. Either it's too many priorities, so there are no priorities, or it's a situation where the teams are working opposite perspectives. So nobody's calling the ball. Um, You know, we've got too many chefs and not enough cooks. And so really knowing what our number one, number one is, is missing somewhere. So those are a couple of things that I see. And when I talk to business owners and they tell me one of those three things, I normally begin to suspect trust or culture or clarity. Hmm. 
So now a company has realized they've got an issue. Yep. Who is it that brings you in? Is it the leader that realizes, okay, I got to do something? Is it somebody below the C-suite? Or I shouldn't say below because that, but I mean, some sort of management. Yeah, yeah, it could be because I could see a CEO saying, hey, this is a problem. Fix it to a manager. The manager brings you in. But if the if the if the CEO is not on board, um, right, there could still be issues. Yeah, normally I come in uh, working with an executive. Um, it, it's fifty fifty whether I come in from the technology side or whether I come in from the business side. Both are very common. Um, but normally it's an executive, and for me, an executive is anything probably. In smaller organizations, it might be called a director. Uh, in large organizations, it might be a VP. Maybe it's a CIO or a CTO. Uh, kind of role, but usually I'm coming in because, and, and it varies a little bit based on what kind of organization it is. Um, if, if it's a SaaS company or a service provider company like yours, that's a little different of who might bring me in than if it's a retail organization or if it's a uh, manufacturer. So, um, but it's normally somebody who is responsible for the budget and the outcome. And they're saying, these aren't matching. I'm okay. not getting the value. All right. So you did mention the different types of companies. What What's your typical company that you work with? Because again, most of my listeners are either going to be, you know, the IT companies or the vendors. Yeah. Uh, I could see this being something that, you know, a larger IT company that does all of the analytics and they can see that or a vendor who, mm-hmm. you know, vendors, I mean, they got a lot of money that they've got to spend in order to get their return. So I could see them being in a very good situation, like, okay, something's not right here. How do we fix it? But in terms of your typical client, what are you looking at usually? Uh, I don't have a typical client uh, to that answer. (laughs) I I work with a lot of different companies because this problem is across the board. Um, It's not, I can pinpoint one or the other. Um, I work with technical teams that are a little bit broader, right? And they're a part of a SaaS organization. I work with retailers. I've got a client right now that's in the healthcare industry and they're a startup. And they're trying to, to the question earlier, they're trying to do it right before they break it, right? And so they're just investing in some of their future and they wanna make sure that they do it properly. And I'm working with their founders to say, okay, here's where you invest. Here's how you do this properly. Here's what you need to bring to the table, how you need to tie your business and IT deliverables together. And so, I've got a little bit of variety that we work with because like the problem is it's a little bit like asking a physician, you know, what demographic do you serve? You might have a pediatrician, but if they're a general practitioner, they're going to see a lot of different variety of patients. Right. right? And so uh, I I work in a lot of spaces like that. Um, But I enjoy working with entrepreneurs and as well as larger organizations. I will say, you know, we talked about the vendor space a little bit. Sometimes a vendor will actually bring me in as well to help them work with a business that's really struggling. So sometimes I help the vendor, right? But sometimes they need to help in actually helping the client Mm. as a third party outside voice, understand what's broken inside their own team. And so I I work with a lot of vendor reps, um, have done training like this uh, with them as well, but helping them with their clients to see, this is why this investment matters. Here's the business case. Here's what you need to present to the board. Here's how to put it in the business context, because it all comes down to that business IT intersection. It doesn't matter whether it's hardware, software, solution provider. It all comes down to putting it in business context. 
Okay, so I just had a thought that there's going to be a large vendor out there that's going to say, hey, maybe you can help us help our MSPs <laughs> run their businesses better. So that would be interesting. Um, okay, I just wrote down something, and I don't know why I wrote it down. <laughs> well, let's go back. So we mentioned, we, you know, we talked about trust, culture, clarity. Um, not in that order, by the way. Um, and these are all part of your P4 method. So I know that that's part of your secret sauce to some degree, but how much of that can you tell us that goes into helping businesses? Absolutely. So what we covered with the trust culture clarity is what we is part of our people uh, area of the P4 method. Okay. And then um, the other three are process and product and partners. And in each of those, we look at the same thing. How does the business apply in the technology processes to make sure that you're optimizing and how those are scorecarded and delivering business value? Um, oftentimes, technical teams internally in an MSP or uh, externally in a client will get caught up in process for the sake of process. And sometimes you got to have that outside voice. It's like, why are you doing this? You know, it's like, because my mom told me to, and because her mom told her to, and we still do it. And like, it, it isn't necessary that it's just built into the DNA of the business. And we need to look at a different optimized way of doing something. So the process side, we work with the product side, which is ultimately what you're delivering to your end customer for you. That's services. Yes, hardware, but really it's services and solutions. Let's make sure that you're presenting those in a business context and not just a technical one. And then the partner side is where we really look at some of the cost savings options. Um, so looking at, are we buying the right things? Do we have overlap? Each of those four areas are what you need to have a healthy technology organization. You got to have the right people, the right process, the right partners, and the right product. And when you get that tuned, now you're able to deliver. And what you'll notice is even in the partner conversation, it's not about all the new tech. It's not about saying you need this specific solution. It's about saying, let's pick the right thing. And in your type of organization in an MSP, what I found is the partner side is very, very important to help your sales team understand what matters to the customer. A lot of times I'll see organizations, retail or manufacturing, whatever, and they feel like IT is just transactional. We bought a server. We bought this. It's just, it, it feels very transactional. They don't have the relationship and the understanding of true partnership. And when we use a lot of specific methods and specific uh, approaches to do that, but when you can align as a partner and deliver that value, it's completely different. You mentioned you've got customers that have been with you for 17 years. That's because you're partners. You're not just transactional vendors. And helping organizations see that and optimize for it is really, really powerful. You got me going on another tangent here, but it's <laughs> okay. Um, so, so the whole partner aspect, that's where I was, <laughs> as soon as you said that, you know, cause we as MSPs, we are sometimes called partners by our vendors. And the goal obviously is they don't make money unless we make money. And we don't make money unless our clients are, and this is where the word comes in, because a lot of times I feel like we're we're coercing them to do something because we think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But with 
utilizing your methodology, you know, we need to figure out how our solutions can help their business prosper. Yep. Then we can go back to our vendors and say, Hey, we need a solution that will help our client. Yes. Um, so that's well, and I'll give you an example. Um, so part of our method in the partner space is in, includes categorizing your vendors, understanding where they're at, and, and understanding strategic versus tactical and those type of things. And then when we get into that conversation, I've even been at organizations where we will pull our strategic partners into a room and say, okay, here's our business plan for the next six months. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. You all need to know what's coming and what we're trying to do and what challenges we're facing and really give that transparency. And when a company understands that true transparency, then even though those partners, I mean, and I've been in situations where I'm saying, hey, we need X. We know this is a problem in our business. We need X. And I'll have two different vendors in the room who both have a solution for X. They both sell software or hardware for X, right? I got Dell and I got HP in the room and I've already told them, look, I'm needing servers. Well, that's okay. And I tell both of them up front, look, I'm telling you both, not so you can try and compete, but so you understand my business problem. I need you to know why I need servers and where I'm going so that we can talk as a unit and be transparent. And that's radical in the world of relationships with partners, because oftentimes it's a, you know, you bid this and you bid this and I'm just and we're, we're very much acting like we're playing a game of cards and nobody can see our hand. But that, you're trying to drive down the highway blindfolded, right? It's like, that doesn't make sense. We need to be transparent with our partners. And from an MSP, that includes the large IT providers that you're using. And that includes the customers that you're serving. You want transparency on both sets of relationships. That's the only way to truly scale and develop that long-term value as opposed to merely we were there for a transaction. Right. Sweet. My goodness gracious. <laughs> so, so your website has this phrase where it says, create harmony between business and tech. Yep. So it sounds like uh, sometimes it's harder than it sounds, isn't it? It is. And Harmony is one of those things where, you know, I, I think from the musical side of it, where it's okay that tech's doing something different than business. There's different expertise that are there in every organization. The goal is that what tech's doing is very much in harmony with what the business is doing and what sales is doing and finance is doing. And everybody's aligned because when that happens, now we can really deliver a value to the end customer, whoever that may be, you know, whatever we're serving here. But oftentimes what we have is it's difficult because we're not aligned in communication. We've got a gap in communication somewhere. There's assumptions being made. And in a lot of ways, it almost is like they're two different languages, right? It's like, how would you get people speaking two different languages to negotiate? And the answer is you need somebody in the middle who can actually bridge that gap. And some organizations have that skill internally, but oftentimes it's a learned skill where they bring in somebody to help them understand how their technical leaders can bridge into the business and help educate the business at the same time on what tech needs to accomplish. Hmm. And now we can become in harmony, as we say, to drive for the business goals. All right. Harmony. So part 
So I'm sorry. I'm sitting here thinking, I, I know that you're in Tennessee. Yes. And so for part of me was thinking like a deep South church feel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where that came from, but that's what I was thinking. Uh, well, there's a difference between unity and harmony. So two different things, but yes, I, I can, I can appreciate that context. Okay. So. All right. So Nathaniel Morris, EQ Digital. So I'm going to ask, I've been asking this a lot of vendors lately and, and how you came up with the name EQ Digital. So EQ, uh, dealing with, of course, the emotional intelligence there. And then digital, uh, it's not just about the tech, it's everything going digital. Uh, we're talking about tech is being, come, it's not just one part of the business, it's affecting all the business. And, you know, there's the big digital transformation, which we could go down another rabbit hole, but we won't right now. So I came up with it in the context of we need more understanding as leaders in digital about how to drive business and how to be good leaders. Uh, and that's where it came from. All right. So Nathaniel, people can head over to your website, eqdigital.com and reach out to you. Uh, I think you gave me a LinkedIn. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I, I have content on LinkedIn all the time, uh, little tips and tricks and things. Uh, just did an article recently on KPIs that uh, organizations can look at that are business context KPIs when you're dealing with budgeting and putting things in business language. Uh, so there's some great things there. If you'll follow me on LinkedIn. All right, folks, uh, you've got that. I'm going to put those in the show notes, uh, the website and his LinkedIn, uh, page there. And you guys can go do that. I think that, um, this is going to be quite beneficial for some listeners out there. So hopefully you'll get a call or two. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoy the conversation and discussing how business and technology and the intersection of them and how to make, as we said, harmony. Yes, <laughs> harmony it is. And uh, hopefully I didn't take you too, down too many rabbit holes, but thank you very Not much for your time. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that, uh, as I said earlier, Nathaniel Morris, EQ Digital, uh, creating harmony between business and tech. Check them out. And thank you for downloading and listening to this episode of the podcast. We'll be back with more as per usual. Check us out at itbusinesspodcast.com and we'll see you soon. And until then, holla.